153, who is 153. Oh, Bugger, I don't like this. Uh, Alejandro Hodorowski. Uh, oh, Hodorowski, right. uh, the Holy Mountain. Um, he was supposed to do June. He was, yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's surrealism, which is just kind of, <laughs> it's over my head. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'll, I'll listen to you talk about him, but I don't yeah. know if I'll watch the movies. <laughs> I've seen El Topo, and that was like a hugely famous um, midnight movie. When I watched it, I thought, really? Because if I watched this at midnight, I'd, I'm not like somebody who falls asleep early, but that would knock me to sleep at midnight if I started watching that. Simpson and welcome to Directors Uncut. If this is your first episode, we put filmmakers from all corners of the globe onto a huge list that covers everything from body horror sweethearts to leading lights of silent cinema. Then we turn it into a lottery of directors and by using a random number generator, we pick a name out of the hat. Whatever name comes out, myself and some guest hosts discuss them and their work through two films. Today, I've been joined by Jonathan, who is a film writer and researcher who's worked a lot with Second Run. Hello. Hello. Nice to be here. And returning from the Devil Times 5 podcast is Cliff. Hello there. Good to be back. You got the name of my podcast right. I did. It took long enough. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Running joke there, as I kept on getting it wrong, I kept on calling it Devil Times 5 times. No, no, that is what it's called. (laughs) Yeah, and then he got it. Getting it wrong, I got it wrong. <laughs> this week's episode is one I was very, very frightened about. Um, it is Alejandro Hodorowsky. Uh Yes. Mm. Yeah. Um, now, that's interesting because, like, um, when I rewatched The Holy Man yesterday, I thought, I mean, I, what I wrote on Letterboxd is do not be scared of this film. Do not think it's a difficult film. It's very accessible. But we'll, move, we'll get on to that later, I guess. Well, it, it's it's not so much the accessibility or difficult. Well, we'll jump into this first. We'll, we'll, we're playing around with the formula this week. So <laughs> we'll open just setting up the director and then we'll come back to him and the two movies we're talking about later, which are Santa Sangra and Holy Mountain. So I guess the immediate question since we sort of sashayed around it a little bit is what was your first i don't know how you'd say this because he's just been around for a very long time but what was your first exposure what was your first movie that you saw of uh Hodorowsky? well i think the first exposure was uh el topo when it was on bbc2 and i think same uh, yeah yeah I, th- I think it would have been maybe kind of late 90s maybe like 97 something like that and uh but I must admit, I didn't actually like watch the whole thing at the time. I think it it kind of overwhelmed me, and uh, mm-hmm. I think I I probably used to lean a little bit too much on like Time Out, the Time Out Film Guide reviews, which I think didn't give it a very good review. And I think I kind of just like was watching it casually, maybe for about an hour, 
and kind of dismissed it really. And, and, and I think only came back to it later through a friend who held him in very high regard. And I think he mentioned him in relation to Dennis Hopper and the last movie. So I think that piqued my interest. Yeah. And then after that, I think I kind of like, I must have like remembered the name. And then I think I came across Holy Mountain when they released it on video in, I guess it would have been like, yeah, again, maybe 99 or 2000. And that was, I think it was like a, a copy from the, the Japanese laser disc because it had the kind of, uh, the sort of blurring of the kind of genitals and things like that. So uh, maybe not the ideal way to see it, but that was like really the first film of his that I really like watched straight through. And uh, I think I probably watched about like half an hour of it, like the first time at a time, because again, it kind of like overwhelmed me, but then I, I sat down with it a bit later and watched it through. And uh, yeah, I, I loved it really. I mean, I, didn't couldn't say that I really understood anything very much, but uh, yeah, it was really just a yeah great experience. I've just looked it up. It was broadcast early morning Saturday, twenty second, twenty second of March, ninety seven. So I'd have been twenty one, which is actually later than I thought. It went out at one thirty in the morning. It's part of uh, BBC Two's Forbidden season. Mm. Um, so even though it was presumably like the TV premiere of it, they put it out really late just because it's <laughs> so, so out there for, for TV at the time. Um, and it had a 10-minute introduction by Christopher Fralin, which I vaguely remember. Um, I don't. Re- I, I need to re- revisit that film. I've been meaning to for ages, but I'm waiting to buy the, um, the, the 4K box set when that is, is that already out? I think it might be. I just haven't got around to it. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> it, it's the same one, isn't it? You said yeah. uh, you were both exposed to the same screen yeah. on TV. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't realise it was that late. Yeah, that, I guess that's my excuse that it, yeah, I guess that I held out then till about 2.30am, which is not bad, I guess. No. I, almost, I almost certainly taped it and watched it the next day. but um, I don't know where I, I first heard of him. He's just one of those directors who's always been... Sort of synonymous with sort of outsider and uh, horror cinema, even though he's not really a horror director. His imagery certainly uh, works within the horror genre a lot of times, mm. but no, it's just one of those names that I couldn't pinpoint. This is the time when I first heard about him. But uh, the first movie I saw, I probably did it completely wrong because it was around, um, just check the years here. Uh, 2016 Endless Poetry. Mm. Oh, yeah. So that's uh, the second part of his five-part autobiography, which I doubt he's in his 90s now. I doubt he'll finish it, unfortunately. I've seen yeah. the first part. It's really good. Yeah. Um, and I haven't got around to Endless Poetry yet. It, it, it's not the best place to start. Um, well, no. I mean, the first part, the dance of reality, is um, him trying to do what he used to do, but on a very reduced budget. Mm. Um still full of creativity but um but yeah if you if maybe yeah maybe it would just look cheap and weird if it's your first exposure to him whereas if you know what he's trying to do you're like ah good to see he's still making the effort even without the budget it's just being thrown into the deep end really and you're not really knowing how to deal with it that was my experience of it it's because when you've got no background to it it just feels like uh, this is the sort of uh the, the rolled out criticism of any surrealism really mm. it's 
and then and then and then and this happens and then this happens and then this happens and then this happens yeah because i think if you've watched like the other films and then you come to that and then especially like knowing that it's autobiographical it actually like helps kind of explain some of the elements in the earlier films like the obsession with you know like kind of terrible parents and things like that mother and father figures like you know in santa yeah. sangre it kind of i guess if you yeah if 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 you've seen those earlier films it does put a few things in context i think but yeah if you come to it like without any of that it, yeah it must be a bit mystifying i think and yeah, yeah like, surrealism without context is meaningless yeah. at, the, at the end of the day I, yeah it would be nice if he did um make another film because i think there was i think i remember hearing that there was um you know he was interested in in making like a third film in like a series and i think that probably would deal with the point when he leaves Chile and goes to Paris and that I would like to see that because I guess that would deal with his days like working with Marcel Marceau and then setting up the, that panic movement with Arabelle and mm. Roland Topo so yeah I hope that he maybe one of his sons could make it I guess or <laughs> yeah but I, yeah if he's written them then yeah then maybe they can still be made but uh, well yeah. assuming he has the talent of his father I remember when uh, Kinji Fukasaku died uh Midway through, <laughs> and he has a beautiful back catalogue of movies, and his son doesn't have the same ability, I don't think. So it didn't really do great favours for his legacy, unfortunately. That is a tedious film, Battle Royale too. Get away from me! No, 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 leave, no, no, no leave me alone! No, 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 I'm not here to hurt you. Please tell me what I have to do to stop this. How do I make them go away? Look. You killed that innocent girl, Marin. There's no, nothing I, I can do. No, except I Please, didn't kill her. Leave me alone. I didn't kill her father, and now people are telling me all these things I don't want to hear. I mean, there must be a prayer you can say. I'll try anything. You did this to yourself. What? You turned away from God, and you cast yourself into the darkness. But I didn't do anything wrong. Every devil used to be an angel, and now you've fallen from grace forever. When Satan was banished from heaven, he was cursed to crawl the earth like a snake. There's no hope for you. What? So that's it? There's, there's, there's nothing you can do for me? I've got a rope in that shed over there. I could take you out to that tree where Marin died, and I, I, I could string you up. So we'll, we'll take a little break from um, Alejandro Hodorowsky and pick him up in a little bit, just playing around with the formula here. So we're going to jump right into what other things we've been watching besides things with Alejandro Hodorowsky. Um, who wants to go first? You. <laughs> Me? Yeah. All right, I'll go first. Yeah, I'm scared about this. Yeah, I've, I've not seen very much actually recently, so I, I feel <laughs> exposed. Um, oh, that's okay. I mean, I, one of the most recent episode, uh, the episodes that are going out now, the, the weekly, so... There's a lot that's coming over from the Patreon archive and this one, with brand new episode. Uh, the last one that went out on the Patreon archive was Alejandro, no, uh, Alexandra Aja, uh, I should say, getting me Alex and my name's mixed, mixed up. So I thought I'd watch something from his filmography that I hadn't bothered with before. So I, I picked Horns because it seems cool. like a bit of an outlier. And it's an interesting outlier, honestly, because um, He's a bit of, I don't know whether you want to call him a horror journeyman who just mm. does exploitation movies in a modern era. But if the shoe fits, I guess, he should wear it. But I think he's got something more to offer 
really, because there's an interesting director at work in Horns, uh, pulls off some incredibly interesting visual tricks playing with uh, religious symbology, kind of weird that it should come up in this episode. However, like any Aja movie, really, the gore's great, the symbolism's great, the visuals are great, but I, honestly, I don't think he's ever very good at finishing. Um, I absolutely love Otsensian and already always have, um, but I haven't found it, anything from him as good as that. Uh, I don't like Hills of Eyes. I don't like Cruel that much. I don't like um, uh, fuck it, uh, Mirrors. Mirrors is dreadful. Um, so when I saw Horns for one pound in sex, uh, which is the correct <laughs> pronunciation of CEX. Yes. That's what they say when you when they answer the phone. Um, I didn't even buy it for a quid on Blu-ray. I just thought, <laughs> it's not like I'd have a quid spare. It's just, I, was like, I don't know. I just like, nah, <laughs> just can't be asked. <laughs> hey, he's, uh, he's got a, I don't think he's made his best film yet. I'll say that much. Interesting um, filmmaker. Oh, oh. His, his skill as a filmmaker is on, is great. Sorry, his skill just, as a storyteller, not so I, much. Sorry, I've just remembered he made Piranha 3D as well. That's good. I like that. I'm not saying that one, but uh, yeah, he's a better filmmaker than he is a storyteller. Because uh, the last bit of that, uh, the last 10 minutes, it kind of falls, falls in on its own weight, really. It was interesting, Hans. Very interesting. So I went first. <laughs> Who's jumping next? Yeah, um, I've got uh, my, my three recently watched a kind of thematically similar in, in some ways. Uh, one is a new release at the cinema, True Things, uh, directed by Harry Woodliffe and starring Ruth Wilson as a uh, woman in, um, what is it said, Thanet, who works in a benefits office. Uh, she's single, bit kind of um, aimless in life. A one of her um, clients makes a pass at her. She goes for it. They start a highly charged relationship, and he keeps disappearing, ghosting her. Um, and yeah, I, I mean, it's it, it's a sad story, really, that she's uh, <laughs> so messed around by this bloke. But um, Ruth Wilson is absolutely incredible, and I can t- just can't take my eyes off her. She's got such an interesting face. Um, yeah, she's great. Um, so, yeah, it's a good film. It's a good film. Okay. Uh, Jonathan, do you have anything? It doesn't have to be a movie. It can be literally anything that uh, you've... Um, well, I think the um, yeah, the two things that come to mind are um, I went on a kind of a bit of a, a, a sort of Soviet slash Russian slash Ukrainian film kick, um, which actually yeah. was because I was, I was working on... Um, one of Miklos Yanshow's films, I was doing a commentary for The Red and the White, which is set in Ukraine in the Civil War period, uh, the Russian Civil War period. And this was, I guess I was working on this in January. So it was kind of a weird kind of uh, coincidence, I guess, with, you know, with current events. And then I I kind of just got into watching a lot of, uh, you know, sort of Soviet 60s films, which is kind of not a very... um, well explored area for me really and uh, i i came across a film that i really loved called uh, no path through fire which i think was made in i think about 1965 or 66 by gleb panfilov and uh yeah it really uh 
Uh, I mean, it sounds strange to describe. Uh, this is a film set in the uh, you know the height of the Russian Civil War, but uh, and I mean, it's it's strange to describe it as charming, but it was a really charming heartwarming film and i i really like the actress who plays the the lead character called uh, ina churikova she's got a very kind of magnetic and just a very disarming quality about her and uh yeah i thought it was a really uh lovely film and um i also seen her i've watched a couple of uh sergey lojnik's films from uh i guess from the 2000s and there's one that he did i think in 20 I think it's about 2016 or 2015 called uh, State Funeral. And it's basically just like edited. It, it, it's footage that he took from the, um, it was actually like the, the, the footage of Stalin's funeral. And uh, so it's like a kind of a found footage film that he just, uh, where he just took the footage and then he just edited it himself. And it's a, it's a really disturbing experience. And it's very, in a way, it's very repetitive and very kind of minimalistic because it's just these endless parades of people you know, uh, at Stalin's funeral. And uh, it's really kind of creepy after a while because you're looking at it and it's obviously this was footage that was intended as like an official record of the funeral. And you're kind of like watching it, just trying to like catch people out, you know, like looking at people's faces, trying to catch the reactions. And, you know, everybody's like really like looking sad and, you know, it's like this this terrible thing that's happened. And, uh you know, you're trying to see like, is there something else in the expressions or something that's like, you know, a bit off the record. And yeah, it's a really, I think it's about two and a half hours as well. It's just very kind of grueling and repetitive, but weirdly kind of hypnotic really and and, and fascinating. So yeah, that was a, I can't say exactly like light viewing, but, but was very interesting, I thought. Mm. It's always a, a fine line with movies like mm. that, uh, that deal with repetition because it, it can once you get sort of um, captured in its rhythm, mm. it can be magnetic. But at the same time, if it captures you in the wrong day, it can be completely repellent. Yeah. It's yeah. such a, a weird little thing to strive for in any movie, really. I wish I had more hours in my life to, you know, really investigate those kind of areas of cinema because, you know, it's, it's I, I do love weird shit and, you know, out there arty shit, but... Two and a half hours of watching a documentary about Stalin's funeral, <laughs> just like <laughs> I could read an article in Sight and Sound about it, perhaps. <laughs> you know? Yeah, it's not a yeah, it, it's uh, not the lightest experience. I mean, uh, it's a good companion, I guess, with the death of Stalin with the Amanda Iannucci. I mean, that would make a nice kind of double bit if you have kind of like. Four and a half hours to spare. It's a nice uh, pairing, I think. Just watching, watching at the same time, side by side. <laughs> presumably, this uh, state funeral's not got much dialogue. <laughs> yeah, I don't think it has any apart from just speeches, which you don't really want to listen to. So, <laughs> right, okay. Anything else from either of you? Uh, yeah, um, there's a new release on movie called. <laughs> I mean, how can you resist watching a film called Zero Fucks Given? <laughs> Um, it stars uh, Adele Exercopoulos from uh, Blue is the Warmest Colour, and she's really brilliant in it. It's, uh, she plays a um, cabin crew, air hostess, air stewardess, whatever you call them. And um, she's, you know, it, it's her career. She's quite good at it. Um, she gets promoted, which she's basically forced into being promoted. Um, and then she gets suspended, and the rest of the film is really boring. I really liked it when uh, when she... They, I wish it was Greek. 
I wish it was directed <laughs> by one of those Greek weird wave guys. It would have been ideal for that. But um, maybe it just leans a bit too close into sort of French ennui mm. uh, to really, you know, get you excited. So, yeah, once, once she's suspended from her job, I think the film just sort of loses its way a bit. Um, the other one that I watched, um, Spencer, which if I'd seen it last year, would have absolutely been in my top 10 of 2021 um, when we recorded that special. It's amazing. I really did not expect a film about Princess Diana having to spend three days over Christmas 1981 with the, with the royal family to, you know, tilt into full-on psychological thriller. It's brilliant. And Johnny Greenwood's score, what he does with kind of freeform jazz as she loses her mind is remarkable. And Kristen Stewart is incredible. Uh, the it's name's com- completely escaped me. Is that the one by the Chilean director? He did not. Pablo Laran, yeah. Ah, uh, yeah. Who did what, sorry? No. Did he do that? He did, uh, he, not, did yeah. he did Emma and Jackie. And uh, did he do no? Okay. Yeah. I haven't seen that yet, but Yeah. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, you're right. He did do that. Um, the other one that I did, I mentioned it quickly because it's for an upcoming podcast. Um, is it two? What's the air? Is it here? A 1996 movie, the Soul movie by Hype Williams called Belly. Oh yeah. This was for uh, a podcast that a regular contributor on this show does. Uh, Graham pop screen talking about pop stars movies and and what have you. And that is a movie made by rappers, uh, Naz, and um, oh, I'm exposing myself here with 1990s rap. <laughs> <laughs> Naz and DMX. Mm-hmm. And stylistically, it's shot very much like a music video um, about two gangsters, uh, two black gangsters in inner city America. The climb and the fall, and they both do it in very, very different ways. There's interesting things in it, like the way it's shot like a music video for one. Uh, there's a little piece by a, I think he was a bishop at the time, talking about the waste of black life in modern America, which is, is very touching. But at the same time, it's very much maybe a work in progress because um, it supposes that black gangsters all are basically the exact same person that all use the M word and M F word, every other word, and there's no real differentiation from one character to the next. So it can be quite incredibly disorientating and when you don't know who anybody is because none of the characters are distinct enough to really stand out. Mm. So it's bewildering really, but stylistically it's it's an incredible achievement from a director who probably could have had a, a decent career if this was a little bit more successful. Mm. Um, and that was Hype Williams. Yeah, he's, he's, had, a, he's had a pretty decent, <laughs> decent career. I don't think he's wanting <laughs> incredible career of music videos. Yeah. Who was who, really? But yeah, his his film career could have been something more. I think. Sure. Mm. Yeah, I've not seen that. Um, it's, it's kind of you know relevant to my interests, but um, I don't know why I've never watched it. I think maybe I've just sort of lumped it in with the kind of Boys in the Hood, um, it's New Jack City kind of thing. Yeah. And, Very uh, different. Uh, right, I'll give it a go. Mm. I'm not sure if it's good, but it's very different than them, yeah. You know you cannot escape death, but immortality can be obtained. We must unite our forces to assault the holy mountain 
and rob its wise men of their secret of immortality. So we shall jump into uh, Alejandro Hodorowsky with Santa Sangre and the Holy Mountain. Um, seeing as though you two are guests on the show, I'll, I'll allow you to pick which one we, we go for first. I think so. <laughs> Holy Mountain. Okay. The one I'm hoping you are going to do first. Okay, <laughs> let's do this. Um, see, this is the this is why I was worried about uh, Hadrovsky coming up because usually at this point I'd say, "So, somebody, please explain what this movie is about." When you get a movie like this, I don't think it's quite as black and white. I can do a plot summary. So, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, a thief. Um, wakes up in a wilderness and is taken into a town where he meets up a huge tower, an alchemist uh, who introduces him to uh, it's seven other um, people, yeah. isn't it, who each mm. represent one of the planets and uh, also um, a kind of mystical figure. And together the nine of them uh, trek towards what he calls the Holy Mountain uh, to find enlightenment, enlightenment and immortality and uh that's basically the storyline mm. but the reason it's called the holy mountain is because it makes you go holy shit every 30 seconds it's so packed full mm. of stuff when i was um <clears throat> you know when i was planning when to watch this uh this week i thought oh well, that's about two and a half hours that film isn't it um it's not it's an hour, just over an hour 50 mm. but it packs so much in that you think it must be longer it's so full of remarkable imagery and um i mean where do you begin first 10 minutes uh you got <laughs> you got that guy with the little guy with no arms you got the uh the the, the two imagine being the makeup artist on this film you could do it work <laughs> yeah 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 to paint 12, 24 young boys genitals green <laughs> okay uh, <laughs> the bits in town with all the uh the jesus figures um do you think they'd ever have a jesus christ on uh, the next netflix show is it cake because you know, <laughs> there is a jesus that is turns out to be a cake <laughs> there's um the incredible toad and chameleon mm. circus thing uh recreating the invasion of uh mexico is it yeah which i Blows me. Then there's a there's a whole business with the like kind of uh, restaging of war crimes for the enjoyment of uh, tourists, mm. um, and all of this is in the first ten minutes. It's, it's so busy this film, and it's it's a thing. It's beautifully shot. Mm. And I love it, and it's so. Colorful. It just kind of keeps up in yeah. the ante, doesn't it? Because you get that whole sequence, like in in Mexico, like in the streets, and then you go up the tower, and then it just that takes you to like another dimension already, doesn't it? Because you have those amazing sets. And then by the time you, mm-hmm. you get into the sequences of the seven different planets, I mean, you're just in this kind of completely psychedelic sensibility that, that I mean, and again, like you say, it kind of like you feel that that it's like the scene with just the planets that seems longer than it really is. Because I think by the point that that is finished, I think you're only about like an hour and 10 minutes into it. And yet it seems like he's created so many kind of worlds just within that hour. Mm. All right. I mean, the thing that amazed me is allegedly the budget for this was £750,000. Yeah, and that just seems unbelievable. Yeah. If, if you don't like this, which I'm not sure yet, um, the one thing that you never be able to criticize about it is some of the location work and some of the sets 
probably up there with the greatest mm. that have ever been mm. captured in cinema. Yeah, I mean, you're talking about the um, the, the very tall toilet that that would be sitting <laughs> on, obviously. <laughs> That's just a tip of the iceberg. Really. <laughs> Why has she got like a severed dog's head on her mantelpiece? I don't know. It looks great. <laughs> it's like the the bits with the architect. It's I've never seen anything like that. I mean, it's just spectacular, mm. really. Mm. And the artworks, oh, the like the sort of human body, kind of like sculptures and things like that. And, mm. and... what yeah. other film has a chauffeur calling a machine frigid because he can't make <laughs> it have an electric orgasm? <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, it's so much. <laughs> it's apparently about ascending a mountain based on a, a bog. Yeah, Mount Analog, but. In reality, it's it's just so many things and more. Really, uh, apparently, the process for making this was was quite a telling one. Really, um, how Hodorowsky never slept for a week before it, and he was getting help from a Japanese Zen master mm. to control that. I think, um, I think the actors were sort of like they, they were kept like in a house, weren't they? I think, and apparently, like a lot of them were on acid a lot of the time, and and. Uh, they were sort of subjected to like a very rigorous kind of training program and kind of similar to what you actually see, I guess, like in the set second part of the, yeah. of the film. And I'm not always sure that how far to kind of go with believing some of the kind of stories around it. I don't know how much of that is like sort of, you know, sort of conscious kind of like myth making. Yeah. Um, there is a few directors who have that sort of legacy around them. Mm. Um, I think it was, I don't remember which Werner Herzog movie it was when he uh, hypnotized his entire cast. Heart of Glass. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. That's a kind of Hodorowskian type of story, isn't it? I think that idea of, <laughs> yeah, subjecting people to yeah. endurance tests. I'm, it wouldn't surprise me if there was a lot of acid involved, mm. but um, presumably not all the time. Otherwise, <laughs> no one would have fucking got anything done. Like, apparently, that was uh, the the birth and re well, death and rebirth sequence that was done under heavy LSD. Uh, maybe, so. maybe, my, maybe they invented microdosing the, for the rest of it. And there's a, this. <laughs> there's a story about the ritual with you know uh, Axon, where he's cutting off the testicles of the boy. And there's a story that the actor playing Axon was on acid and when Hodorowsky shouted cut <laughs> that he thought he meant to actually cut yeah. the testicles oh. for real and started doing it. But I, I mean, I, that's, that's the story. I don't know if it's true. I'd like to think it is, but. <laughs> Given the message, yeah. <laughs> I'd expect it to be true because uh, the product speaks for itself mm. really, doesn't it? But then like, you've got that like really gory massacre scene, except it's not gory because it all sh- it shows you how all the effects would be made. Like, with, that's um, brilliant. Obviously fake bodies and like that, that little pipe thing um, that strapped someone's head to make all blood come out, and which actually turns up again in Santa Sangra. Um, and, uh, like the, you know, the, oh, the thing like where people are being shot, birds, like birds yeah. coming out of their bullet holes. Yeah. It's incredible. But how, like, you know, people... Um, their guts spilling out, except it's a load of like marbles or something. It's like a sort of parody of, of splatter. Mm. <laughs> and, um, the satire in the film is like really broad brush, but I think that makes it, um, means that it's still relevant yeah. even now, all these years later. Um, uh, the, you know, the stuff about the, uh, yeah, like the architect who's, who's created this town 
where people can just go and work and then like have have seen no <laughs> home life worth speaking of. But apparently they're free. They're free of having to have a family or having to have a social life or anything like that or have to worry about money because all they do is work and then they go and sleep in a little coffin. And, yeah, it's uh, haunting mm, that bit, yeah. Yeah. Remind me of Monty Python. You know the architect sketch in Monty yes. Python? <laughs> yes. Remind me of that bit. Like the abattoir builder, yeah. isn't it? <laughs> yeah. The meaning of life vibe about that bit entirely. They are yeah. kind of like sketches, Ooh. I guess, as well, aren't they? Those sequences, I think. They are like sort of extended yeah. comedy sketches in a good Ooh. way, I think. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. It's probably the best yeah. way to process a lot of it, really, because if you it, take it seriously, it's... The arms dealer, the one yeah. who manif- manufactures weapons for all different religions mm. <laughs> like seriously this film if this film does not make you go fuck hell every 30 seconds then you're not paying attention <laughs> yeah um but just rewind though for the, the two of you i mean this was my first time what was your reaction to seeing it the first time because it is full-on as a any sort of experience I mean, it's beautiful. I, I loved it from the very first time I saw Me it. Too. I've watched it four times over the last nine years, and um, it just never gets old. Me too. Yeah, I, I, um, I was also really glad that I got the chance to see it at the cinema as well. I saw it in the, at the Corner House in Manchester when that was still there, and uh, you know, it's just great to see it on the big screen. The only kind of uh, thing that detracted was just like. Uh, you know, sort of typical kind of man. I'm I'm from Manchester, so I can say this like typical Manchester audience. Like a lot of people just like laughing at a lot of it, which I kind of sometimes I'm okay with. But I just thought it was like I don't know. There's there's like patronising laughter, or there's like you're laughing with mm. something, and I felt there was a little bit of that kind of sort of smug laughter that spoiled it a little bit. But it was still great seeing it on at the cinema. Yeah, that, that it is, is very funny. Though. Yeah, I yeah, mean, it's, that's it's, true. It's, it's a problem with surrealism. You don't know whether you're supposed to laugh or whether you're supposed to take it seriously. And if you laugh, you maybe you're laughing at the wrong that's time. What I felt, yeah, I don't think. Yeah, it, it, it's not really a problem here because it's it's so silly. I mean, what's your what, what's your favourite funny moment in it? I mean, there's so many to choose from. I think I know what mine is just because it's so comes out of nowhere. Uh, Personally, it's the machine that he has the pleasure. It's just where uh, does that come from? Yeah, it's bizarre. I I really like the bit up the mountain where there's the uh, the naked guy with big tits, and there's kind of it looks like he's going to go into a sex scene, and then all of a sudden, instead of big tits, he's got two severed tiger cubs heads that are squirting. I, <laughs> he's going blood or milk. milk. I can't even remember now. <laughs> It's just, so I think for me the best I think that the the funniest actually it's a bit of dialogue funnily enough not an image but it's the reference to hypersex native vampires when they're talking about killing the Peruvians I think just that line is so funny mm. so did you enjoy it Rob because you're I don't know. very confused <laughs> it's, it's it's just sensory overload really isn't yeah. it well that's what I love about it I don't care that I don't fully understand the meaning it's yeah. it's just yeah, what other film gives you all this imagery, all those colours? I mean, it's beautiful to look at. Oh, um, yeah. I, I mean, really I so, so jealous of seeing it at a cinema, by the way. That would have been something really special. I get mm. um I really find it exciting when films have lots of animals in it. Mm. And I don't know why that is, but I guess it's just like the kind of unpredictability. And and there's so many animals in this, dead and alive. I think I think Horowski firstly prefers animals when they're dead. Um, 
And just a just a return to that bit about favourite bit with the animal. It's the animal doing the um the I can't remember the name of the pause, but when you cross your legs over uh, and mm-hmm. have your hands Lotus. together, the name of the pause is completely the lotus position. When they've got a monkey doing a lotus mm-hmm. position, the chimpanzee oh. doing a lotus position. How's he done that? <laughs> <laughs> it's so bizarre. And there's a tiger, isn't there, as well? Like in the, during the sort of the mountain yeah, climb, the where I assume because at that point he has the the alchemist has the black mask, so I assume that was just a way to kind of uh, you know hide the fact that that's like a. I guess like a tiger trainer, but you're never sure. Maybe Hodorowsky, you could imagine that he could have actually trained a tiger himself. But uh, yeah, probably that was actually like a, a professional trainer doing that. But still, you know, you see it there with the other actors there, and that's quite a feat because I think they did the mountain climb for real as well. According to him, it was like they actually did go up the mountain, and it wasn't mm. fake really. And then they had sort of like terrible weather, I think, and things and. I think they changed the ending as well, didn't they? Because I think they, they were meant to have a yeah. different ending that would have been more elaborate with the people levitating. And so I think that was kind of like a bit of an improvised ending. Yeah, because the ending, it, it does have a, this is a camera's pullback now. Mm. Yeah. It's a Monty and Python this, ending. This is a film. Speaking of Monty yeah. Python, I mean, it's funny because I think Monty Python and the Holy Grail, I think, is around the same time, isn't it? And that has basically the same ending. Because if yeah. you think of it, it's like it's a quest narrative again isn't it that seems to be heading mm-hmm. towards something and then it ends with you know like oh it's just a film and there's a yeah. weird parallel with that <laughs> it's an experience all right and i don't think you can say that about many films really especially not to this level mm. well there you go alejandro odorowski's monty python <laughs> that's what <laughs> don't be scared to watch it it's it's weird but it's not difficult i think what colored that sort of fear of it really was when i watched um endless poetry it was all this surrealism but it was clearly something that had some sort of greater context and some some greater significance that it was pointing towards and not having that i mean i watch a lot of czech movies and they're very surreal but mm. once you key into the context they all make sense but this yeah, this poetry. I didn't have that context, so I, I was completely out of my depth. I mean, that I think that says a lot about him too, doesn't it? Because he is kind of hard to pinpoint in terms of even like just country, like which country he belongs to. Because I mean, I think he said himself that I mean he's Chilean of like Russian Jewish descent, and then he went to live in France. He then he made the films in Mexico, like with American money, and uh, in terms of just trying to place it in a particular kind of cultural tradition, it, you know, it, it's really just him, I guess. I mean, I guess surrealism's there, but then there's all the sort of mystical elements as well. And that in itself, there's all these different religions there. There's like, you know, Christianity, Buddhism, you know, there's like these kind of weird kind of new age things in there as well. And it's like, there's just so many kind of reference points. That, yeah, I can understand that it can be like really overwhelming if you try and kind of, analyze it sort of like bit by bit really and uh mm-hmm. he's really like a universe unto himself i think yeah entirely yeah um any any final thoughts before we pick the next director well i, I always always like the trivia that george harrison was mm-hmm. lined up to play the uh the thief except the reason he pulled out was because he didn't want to show his anus on camera <laughs> 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 Makes sense. It's a very valuable earnest at that point in time. Uh, Jonathan, any, any um, final? I think to me, I mean, I think what's so unique about it is, I mean, like you mentioned, like with the budget, and I guess, I mean, that was a small budget 
for like a kind of a standard production, but I guess for the type of movie he's making, I mean, I guess it it it, it was you know. I guess more money than he would have had for like had had John Lennon not seen El Topo and then set up this deal. And so to me, it's really it's like an epic version of like an underground movie. So that's how I think of it. That it's it's really a, a kind of like a unique, you know, moment. I guess in film history where that could have happened that somebody like that could have been given that amount of money to do this thing. And uh, I don't think it will ever happen again that you'll see a film that's that mad, you know, with that kind of scale to it. Really. Oh no. I mean, it's interesting you said George Harrison's anus was very valuable because, I mean, I got my mind set on you. had to come from somewhere, didn't it? (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure I came here to meet you. I came from a different land named Agartha. Agartha? A foreign country? There was something I wanted to see and someone I had to meet. But now I've accomplished everything I've wanted. I have no regrets. All I wish is for you to live. Asana, the police found a young boy's body in the riverbed. When they found him, he was dead. He's gone. Hello, taking a little step away from the shore um, to tell you what's coming up in the next few episodes. Um, the next two from the Patreon archive. Uh, the first one, uh, in a animation, a very, very different animation, double bill of episodes, is uh, René Leloup, who did incredibly odd uh, experimental animation from the 1970s, sci-fi animation from the 70s, called Fantastic Planet. That's one of the movies we do in that episode. And we follow that up by dipping our toe in anime for the first time. And um, with Makoto Shinkai, who's probably most famous um, for your name, but since we recorded that episode, or around the time we recorded the episode, he's since done uh, weathering with you. So there's two very, very different episodes. So if you have any takes on either of those directors, although I assume that it's more likely going to be Makoto Shinkai, he is far more popular than Rene Lelou. But if you have any comments, please do. Get in touch with me by emailing me at directorsuncutpod at gmail.com. That's directorsuncutpod at gmail.com. Or finding me on social media at Twitter at underscore RJ Simpson. Or on Instagram at directorsuncutpod. And, but yeah, if you like the show, please do give it a subscribe. Give it a rate. And if you're on uh, Spotify, listen on Spotify. Or a review if you listen on Apple podcasts or itunes as it used to go by i've got an idea i'd like to fly by you listeners just while i have you um the format of the show includes us picking a director at random and then talking about two of their movies however that effectively excludes a lot of directors who only ever did one movie whether that's all they wanted to do or whether that's all the industry allowed them to do because the industry sucks sometimes like that I was just thinking, where would those episodes go? Because I won't be able to do a traditional episode talking about those one movie names. Should they go on Patreon? Should there be a mini-series? Between series? I like your feedback on this, so please do let me know uh, on social media or email, please. I'd love to hear your take. So, yeah, I hope you're enjoying the show. Uh, If you are, please do share it with your friends on social media, because that's how... Small podcasts that are just taking their steps out into the wild really do 
stand out from the crowd. And I like to think my podcast stands out with the crowd. A lottery of directors, plays. It's a cool idea, let's be honest. So let's take a step back into the podcast where we talk about some more movies from Alejandro Jodorowsky. ¿Cuál es el sentido de la vida? El cerebro hace preguntas, el corazón da las respuestas. La vida no tiene sentido. Vive, vive. Poesía. Alumbrarás mi camino como una mariposa que arde. Okay, so that leads us to the second movie of the night, uh, Alejandro Jodorowsky's Santa Sangre. His, um, what year was it again? Sorry, uh, his 89 movie. So it's uh, late in his career, this one. Um, who wants to take a crack at this one? Because this one, as far as synopsis goes, is a little easier to pin down. Mm. I'll, I'll maybe try this. So, so I'll give a little kind of uh, summary. And so, yeah, it's about, it starts with uh, a young man in a mental institution called Phoenix, who's obviously traumatized and is he seems to believe that he is uh, an eagle i think and then we kind of go back into his family history his father is a uh, uh, an american uh knife thrower in a circus he owns this circus called cirque del gringo i think and then his mother is uh, also a circus performer but also a kind of like a religious fanatic who has this strange religious cult based on this um I guess this terrible story of this armless girl and um, the uh, uh, father is cheating on the mother with a tattooed lady uh, in the circus. And um, in vengeance for that, the uh, mother uh, castrates him or or, uh, pours acid on his crotch. And then the mother um, uh, has her arm sliced off by the father and so obviously creates terrible traumatic uh, uh, memory for the child who grows up and uh, later re-encounters the mother or seems to do on the street escapes from the institution and um, they form a weird double act together where he acts as the arms of the uh, the mother in a, a kind of a cabaret act that they do and uh, that's really just the the I guess the sort of the premise for a lot of other kind of crazy and, and violent and and strange incidents yeah, it's uh, spot on. Um, Cliff, what did you think of this one? I mean, watching it straight after the Holy Mountain, it's it's just it's disappointing. <laughs> <laughs> it's always going to be disappointing because um, it, it's, it's too it's too normal. Mm. It's just a story. Uh, I and, think that's doing it a disservice. <laughs> yeah, I think that's like it's like, but it, it almost like. Um, sets you up to expect the holy mountain again mm. because it starts with a bloke who looks a bit jesusy um and then like he's got a got a little friend who's a, a little guy um and you think, oh here we go again but but then it's also oh, I, I thought now i was going to say oh, it looks the lighting and everything the colors are more, more naturalistic and that's disappointing as well turns out the blu-ray that was put out in 2011 i think um i think they got the colors wrong because looking at screenshots from the new 4k restoration it looks like you know all bright and colorful like the holy mountain mm. does so i think i need to upgrade my copy um but uh i mean it, it's fine it's just um 
I mean, I do like it. It's got its moments, but I, I think it's too long. Yeah, I, I think it's too long for the story it tells. It, it lags it's, a bit, doesn't it? Unfocused. Yeah, it's unfocused. When it finally, yeah, it's in the second hour, it starts becoming this kind of um, horror movie. Um, but it doesn't feel like a horror, a Hodorowsky horror movie. That's hard to say. Um, <laughs> it, <laughs> it feels like a Pedro Almodovar horror movie. Yeah. Mm, yeah. There's nothing true. wrong with that. It's just that's that's not what the first hour seems to be leading up to. It's it's funny you say that thing about the the colours because uh, when I was watching it, um, it made me think of John Waters. Funnily enough, um, in the sense of it feels like so, uh, authentic um, surrealism, like the, this world already exists because it's so muted, and these characters could be found. Right. So, so do you know which print of it you watch? Because I don't yeah, it think it's meant to be muted. It's, it's not muted, but when you compare it to Holy Mountain, mm. it's muted. It's just yeah. not, as, not as sharp. No, and I think looking at the screenshots of the new releases, I think I think they got it wrong. Yeah. Because yeah. that, that's a weird context it adds to it, yeah. Because I've got the Blu-ray, like the latest one. I mean, I think it looked pretty good. I, I think the colour is it's kind of deeper, isn't it? I think like Holy Mountain is much more kind of like bright, kind of like lighter colours. And I think this is kind of deeper colours because I guess it's a lot of lot of like deep red, so to speak. And and uh I mean I I, I do like the visuals, but I I agree, I think I feel it it it, it lags a bit and I feel that it you you're kind of sometimes you, you feel like you 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 just want it to kind of move a bit faster and uh, and it's kind of telling different stories too, isn't it? I think, and it feels a bit like he's trying to, you know, create a kind of linear narrative and yet his heart is still with like the set pieces, isn't it? Because I think some of the most impressive mm. things are like the sequence of like the elephant's funeral or like the scene at the end with, yeah. with the bodies yeah. that come from the graves. And in a way, those are not really that connected to the narrative. And you feel that really if he had just been let loose again to do a sort of Holy Mountain style film maybe it would have been a bit more satisfying or at least that's more i guess that's more where my heart is i mean i think some people do feel this is like his best film because it's his most i guess it's his most discipline but i mean it's like whether you really want discipline from hodorowsky you know you, i would rather just have a kind of freak out style <laughs> movie like holy man i don't think it is disciplined because i, I think it's is sort of because, like you say, it's a, it's that that mess of the two mm. styles. I, I wish, yeah, I, I personally wish he'd done a, done it as a ninety minute horror movie, and left out all the all the cool surreal stuff, which just isn't as good as it as it is in the Holy Mountain. So, um, you know, if it, it played it more straight, um, it's it's an interesting horror film, interesting idea, and it's it's got that <laughs> spoiler, but um, it's got that. Same twist ending as Otension, isn't it? As Alexander Otension. I still, yeah. I still like, I still <laughs> like it a lot because I find, in a weird way, I find it quite sweet. Somehow, I think that there's a sort of like a sweetness about the, you know, the just the sort of the warmth towards like the various kind of like outsider figures in it. And uh, I mean, it's often compared with the movie like Freaks, for instance. So I, I think you know, to me, yeah. those are the things that I really appreciate you know like the scenes with the children with down syndrome i mean that's kind of i mean i mean it's kind of like an outrageous sequence i think for any other director you know you would like really be alarmed by that like the sequence when you know the doctor takes them to the cinema and then they end up taking cocaine and then 
go and yeah. see the prostitute. But I think in the context of Hodorowsky, this is almost like a normal, <laughs> a normal moment, yeah, yeah. really. But it's uh, he loves he loves working with um, like he loves filling his his films with disabled people and animals, mm, doesn't he? Mm. Uh, which is really interesting that you know is, is he treating them both the same way? Is he saying disabled people are? I mean, I don't think he is. I think his his disabled characters are very sympathetic. Mm, mm, um, yes. And he doesn't blow them up like the toads and chameleons, <laughs> <laughs> obviously. Um, but I, I, yeah, I think, I mean, not just the things at the start that I mentioned feel like a, a poor imitation of Holy Mountain, but you've got that scene where the guy in the suit accosts Alma and peels off his fake ear. Um, but it turns out it's a guy with one ear um, and, and kind of attacks her with it. Uh, that's, just so similar mm. to the priest in the holy mountain who the glass uh, pulls out his yeah. eye and gives it to the child prostitute um it's it feels like he's trying to go over all gra- old ground it doesn't look as good and that's why i wish it was just more of a straight narrative if that's what he if he wanted to make a horror no. film do it do it normally <laughs> i guess <laughs> much as i love the surrealism and all that uh, i just don't think yeah. there's room in this film for both it's a, a weird comparison point between the two because um, Holy Mountain is about spiritualism and achieving attainment and a higher level of being. And there's a sequence in Santa Sangre, which um, I don't know if it, it's acknowledgement of that, but when it's establishing this, this cult, it introduces a priest who shoots it all down as, as blasphemy yeah. uh, and calling it a cult. So maybe as a level of self-awareness there, I'm not sure what he was going for in that, but it certainly certainly felt like it to me. It's so weird, that whole business with the cult, because obviously it's meant to kind of just be mirrored with the fact that um, Conja loses her arms. Mm. Yeah. But I don't really get why. (laughs) Why it's necessary to have that mirroring. Um. You could lose that whole bit about the cult. It feels a bit confused too, doesn't it? Because like the yeah. the the yeah, the bulldozers are coming in, and it feels like you're meant to be kind of like a bit on her side against the sort of like the established church, and that it's this sort of pagan you know expression. And it's a bit it's a bit in itself, I guess. There's a sort of like an analogy with the circus life, isn't it? Because it's like this. Obviously, I guess it's like red paint in the pool, and so it's also about like illusions, and it's. But it's also something that seems kind of there's an authenticity to it when you have the singers and the people playing the guitars. And yeah, I mean, the way she develops as a character is she is like a really unpleasant, you know, horrifying character. And yet at that point, it seems like you're meant to kind of take her side, really. So, yeah, I'm not quite sure what the what the message is or what the idea is there, really. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I do like these individual scenes. Mm, it's a great I scene. don't feel that, yeah, I don't feel that it really... I don't feel that certain bits of it really add to, and and this film is over two hours long, and um, yeah. it, it doesn't need to be. I really don't think it does. Here's a weird question, then, um, sort of in line with Halloween Three is probably a better movie than it gets credited for, but because it's Halloween, people expect a certain thing. Um, if this wasn't a Hodorowsky film, would you feel better about it, both of you? Maybe. Uh... I don't know if that's the case, but like I say, it does feel more like Elmodovar, the way the the sort of campy horror 
I love it. It's interesting mm. because the producer was Claudio Argento, and I think mm. the, the, the I think the the writer or the co-writer was I think Roberto Leone, he's an Italian screenwriter, and it's not entirely clear who wrote what because I, there's conflicting accounts of how much input you know Argento had and how much it was like solely Hodorowsky's project. But I mean, there are kind of elements of Giallo in it as well, I guess, and so I guess that makes it. I guess also like a bit of a mishmash, doesn't it really? And I think they had like Italian money in it. And so maybe there was, you know, it was pulling in different directions there really. Cause I mean, there are some elements that are quite Jarlo-esque, aren't they? Like the, the way a couple of the murders are staged and the, uh, I guess that whole sort of psychosexual, you know, that sort of traumatic backstory element. I mean, that's quite sort of Argento-esque, isn't it really? So uh, I think maybe that's yeah. another reason why it, it feels a bit different. It feels a bit like a, uh, yeah, like it's it's trying to be two different things. That's really interesting. I didn't even clock that um, it was co-written by Roberto Leone. He's not he's not a name I particularly know. He's um, I think My Dear Killer, which stars George Hilton, is probably his only uh, significant film in the horror in the Italian horror genre. But um, but yeah, that's very interesting that it it does have the feel. Now you mention it of an Italian horror script that was picked up by. Hodorowsky and sort of bent around to fit some of his own uh, own obsessions mm, in, mm. and not necessarily in a successful way. I do like the film. I do like it. I just watching it after the Holy Mountain. It's such a come mm, down. That's true. <laughs> it's not a good comparison, really, is it? To watch these two in, in short succession i mean i remember at the time because i mean, I, I was i was quite young but i do remember this would be like i guess maybe 1990 when it came out in in the uk when i would have been about 12 so even at that age i do remember that it, it you know it was it was quite a prominent release in the uk which is interesting you know for a film like that and but i guess maybe at that time i think holy mountain and el topo they were still quite difficult to see and so i guess without that context of those earlier films or maybe just you know i guess those were not films that were fresh in people's minds anymore and i guess in that context it would have looked much more impressive but i guess now you know we're we're, you know we have access to his other work as well and i think yeah in comparison to me it's just not as as powerful it's not as unique really as something like holy mountain or even uh vando and list which i think is also like a really interesting uh film i've never cared as much for el topo i must admit i always find to me that also pales alongside holy mountain because it just looks like uh uh it's just less it's less rich really it just doesn't have that kind of like intensity and that kind of variety of imagery that holy mountain does so yeah for me holy mountain stands above everything i think I've just remembered, actually, my first encounter with Hodorowsky would have been Santa Sangra because we rented it, uh, me and my mates rented it on one of our um, legendary all-nighters where we'd watch like eight horror films in a row right through the night. Um, And uh, yeah, I I can't remember how Santa Sangra went down. We were definitely confused. Um, And the bit with the Down syndrome people was like the only thing we were talking about for the rest of the night, I think. (laughs) We were like, what was that? (laughs) And the elephant's trunk, all blood coming Mm, out of it. Like ejaculating. Um, You just haven't seen... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah you haven't really seen stuff like that when you're 16 in the 90s i guess um the early night early 90s i mean in credit yeah. to it though as far as a thing in the horror language the cinematic language it's still nothing else really like it 
it's quite similar to Italian horror, but at the same time, it's still very unique in its in its it, landscape. It's very, uh, it's very Mexican as well. I think, like you know, but he made, I guess, most of his films in Mexico. But to me, that is the most like really Mexican because Holy Mountain is hard to really place anywhere. But to me, this is much more rooted in like Mexican culture. I mean, at least of what I know of it. I mean, you've got like the Santo figure there haven't you and you've got like the the day of the dead there and so i guess that you know maybe makes it a little bit different from the other films yeah, it feels it, more rooted in an actual place i guess even I throwing in of uh, luchadors as well yeah. that's a, a bizarre thing and i thought i'd see in a, in a uh, i feel a bit cheated film. out of a, a proper italian version of this now <laughs> well, why didn't claudio give it to dario to do you know uh, what was this 89 89. Uh, what was Dar- what did Dario make in, he, in 89? Opera, he's still on decent form. Uh, it was after opera. Yeah. Um, so it would have been the card player. Was that after that? Um, uh, two evil. Uh, two, yeah. Um, trauma. I guess he, he had plenty of time between opera and trauma to have made this. Yeah. Would have been a very interesting take that. Yeah. I don't know why I'm calling it trauma when it's an American film. It's called trauma. It's not called trauma. <laughs> Stop, stop being pretentious, Cliff. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, any any closing thoughts on um, on Santa Sangra before we finish up with? Uh, I like the bit where there's um, in the funeral parade. You see the clown and he's crying mm. tears through the oh, same yeah. <laughs> pipe thing that the blood comes out of in Holy Mountain. I think that's a nice touch. Okay, uh, Jonathan. Um, I don't think I have any more on. Uh, Santa Sangre. I, I, uh, yeah, like I say, I, I think it's, uh, yeah, it, it, it's, uh, maybe a good introduction to his work, I think, but, uh, yeah, it's not the sort of the full Hodorowsky experience, I think. Okay. So the vague question by, by design, as well, well, no, let's just keep it open. What do you think of Hodorowsky as a filmmaker? And let's not tie it to one film too much. His filmography. He's fascinating. Um, I, 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 all, all down, I'm good. What am I trying to say? I'm down for surrealism. And okay. um, I think when, when he's at his best, he's amazing. Um, and yeah, I, he's really watchable. And I really ought to seek out. His film, the films of his that I haven't got around to watching yet, and also rewatch El Topo, which I haven't seen since that uh, day in 1997. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I guess he, uh, it's hard to kind of pinpoint like a specific, um, like visual style, because I mean, I guess he does a lot of different things, and I guess really everything serves the imagery. It's all about imagery, and I just think he has a kind of a gift for just alarming and amazing imagery, which is really kind of unique. I mean, he's often compared with Fellini or Boonwell, but I mean, to me, he has a very distinctive sensibility, I think, related to, I guess, like violence, use of animals, uh, you know, sort of like sexual imagery. I think the use of colour is really striking. And I think when he had the 
freedom and he had the money to kind of do that on a kind of lavish scale. Like I think he was a really amazing figure and it's just really sad that he didn't get to make the film of Dune. I think that would have just been, maybe it would have been overkill, but I don't know. I I, I would like to have seen it, whatever it would have turned out as. I mean, I think just the prospect of a film starring Salvador Dali and Orson Welles and Mick (laughs) Jagger and Udo Kia directed by Hodorowsky with design by uh, H.R. Giga. I think it's just a tragedy that that wasn't made really. Agreed. Yeah, it'd be much more interesting. I mean, this is a controversial opinion, but it'd be much more interesting than the current iteration by uh, Denis Villeneuve. Definitely, I, I, it must it must be better than David Lynch's <laughs> dreadful version. And I, I say that as a Lynch fan. Hodorowsky said he was happy mm. when he saw the Lynch film because he said, like, you know, David Lynch is the only person who could have actually done it justice. And then when he saw it and he realised that it wasn't very good, he was actually happy because it well even even David Lynch failed. So, yeah. Hmm. I mean, for me, uh, if you like him or you don't, the one thing you can't deny about Odorovsky is he's a, he's a force of nature, mm. really. He's a fascinating, just um, as a person, I think he's a fascinating, like in himself, he is a kind of like a work of art, really. I mean, it's like if you if you see his interviews, I mean, I think even if you didn't like his films, you would find him entertaining. And he's kind of like quite a seductive figure as well. When you watch his, there's a there's an interview that he did, the, I think it was the ICA, there's a, there's a, an extra on the um, Santa Sangre Blu-ray and and uh, it just shows him kind of, he's like working the audience. He's just such a natural storyteller, even with this slightly broken English that he has. And yeah, he, he is a, yeah, quite a kind of an amazing figure, I think. Also the <laughs> fact that he puts himself in, well, certainly in his early films, mm. they um, start, oh, actually, and his later ones, because he plays himself in his autobiography biographical ones as and well, then he uses he? his sons um, as well which is like a surrogate i guess yeah but he turns <laughs> up yeah, yeah yeah but then he turns up as his present day mm. self um yeah so so i i i'm always fascinated by directors who film themselves as well who, who put that cast themselves in the starring role because i mean every, right up to things like you know alice lowe in prevenge if the film's been made really well, you're like, how are you so good behind the camera and in front of mm. it? Now, I'm not saying uh, Hodorowsky is an amazing actor in front of the camera, but you get more of his personality, the fact that you get both get him on both sides of it. I mean, I think, I, I think he said he took the lead role in El Topo because nobody else would do the things that he has to do, like he has to shave his head and he has to kind of, you know, Show his yeah, <laughs> and uh, I'm not sure about the Holy Man. I mean, to me, that is the right role for him as the alchemist. I mean, I don't think he's a guy without self-esteem. I think, you know, he, he chooses the sort of plum role, I think. So, yeah, the alchemist is the ideal role for him, I think, in Holy Mountain. Cause- oh, especially... Yeah, yeah, because because the alchemist is the director yeah. of um, the Thief's story, isn't he? So, obvious. Who else could play that character, really? Mm. The film wouldn't make any sense if it wasn't the director playing that character. <laughs> the film wouldn't make any sense if it... Sure, yeah, yeah, that makes loads of sense. Yeah. <laughs> be fascinating enough, front though, because the internet does like deciphering movies, and I think this may be a, a jump too far trying to decipher this one. They've hmm? jumped too far in trying to decipher Holy Mountain? Oh, yeah, because there's, like, there's all those... Uh, there's groups of people who try to understand what Mulholland Drive really means, but mm-hmm. no, this is this is a whole level above that sort of uh, film theorising. I don't I think don't this know. is... I'm sure it means something to him, and if you listen to the commentary and it's all about tarot, then, um, you know, he seems to understand it. Uh, I don't care what it means because I just love it. Mm. 
as a mm. as a experience as an audio visual experience mm. well visual not, mainly to be honest yeah there's not enough of that really everything has to be understood and explained I mean, uh, yeah. enjoying it for the rider isn't that's that's kind of him down to a t as a director really he's not a storyteller he's a sort of a myth waver really that's a very Authors. pretentious way of putting it but it's kind of accurate at the same time I mean, it's, in, it's interesting because i mean the actual i guess the, the the sort of the message or the meaning is all about like spiritual transcendence and stripping away the you know layers of illusion and yeah i mean actually as a an experience it's a very kind of physical and it's very like tactile i think the imagery is tactile it kind of like when you look at the the when the thief eats the christ face i mean and, and it's kate i mean you actually want to this is weird to say it, but you actually want to taste that. You want to kind of feel what that tastes like. And it's a very, it's very kind of, it's like a sensory experience, really, even though it's like the actual message is all about spirituality. It's kind of an interesting contradiction somehow, I think. Yeah. Um, I think that's a nice place to end, really, unless there's anything left unsaid, any stone left unturned. I mean, it's, it's, I just want to say the Holy Mountain again. <laughs> it, it's interesting that Holy Mountain has now become, I think, his like uh, signature film because I mean, for a long time it was El Topo, wasn't it? That was like the big sort of midnight yeah. movie. And then it's interesting how, yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess, now that like Holy Mountain is more available, that seems to be the kind of jewel, I think, in the crown, really. And even, uh, you know, people like Kanye West are fans of it now, you know, for better or worse. So <laughs> it's uh, really, yeah, he, wow. he, uh, there's a picture of them together. I don't know if you've seen that one of. Uh, Oh. Yeah, they they met up apparently. So <laughs> that's crazy. <laughs> Didn't he cancel Coachella the first time he was booked because uh, it's a headline because he couldn't take his mountain on. They couldn't accommodate his mountain on stage. <laughs> oh yeah, I think he, yeah, there was like a set, wasn't there? I think that he he yeah. yeah. So yeah, it's uh, <laughs> widely influenced. Okay, so. Honestly, that went a lot better than I thought it was. I was terrified of this episode because how 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 do you talk about surrealism? It's it is complex. It's a complex subject. Um. So yeah, Alejandro Hodorowski there, done and dusted. Um, Jonathan, where can we find your work and yourself online? Uh, so I just finished um uh commentary on the red and the white by miklos jan show and that's being released i think next week actually by kino lorber in a box set of jan show films and uh yeah jan show i guess is not a million miles away from hodorowsky actually so i think if you've enjoyed uh holy mountain you know you might uh want to try something like red psalm or electra or some of the kind of classic uh, ah early 70s Yan show uh, movies and uh, I've also contributed to second run's release of a Czech movie called Coach to Vienna which has just been released and that's a really wonderful uh, film set during the second world war and uh, yes I do a lot of work for second run so uh, yeah please check out their new releases and uh, it's likely I may have something on one of those and uh, uh, yeah that's uh, Party in the Guest was another one I contributed to recently another recent second run check release which is another great film uh from the 60s uh i guess makes a little bit more sense maybe than holy mountain yes but it's still a complicated <laughs> yeah, movie yeah, at the very least. 
And uh, Cliff, where can we find you in your work? Devil Times 5 Horror Podcast. Uh, monthly, it's a comedy podcast about horror movies. Different theme every month. Um, and we would love to do audio commentaries if, any, if anyone can, <laughs> wants to book us for one of those. It would be amazing. It would be great. And uh, I have been your host, Rob Simpson. And this has been Directors Uncut.